and welcome to our show. Uh, today, I would like to welcome Senior Pastor and Public Safety Chaplain James Friedman. Uh, James is a senior pastor, a trainer, a motivational speaker, a business owner, a television host, a sworn reserved police officer, a husband, a father, a grandfather. Um, I've been very privileged to know him for the past 12 years. Uh, welcome to our show. Uh, Sherry, thank you. And it is such an honor and a joy to be be here with you today. And all this stuff you just said, the, the, the last ones that I'm the most proud of is being a proud husband, uh, father, and grandfather. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. That's um, always the greatest challenge and reward all in, yes. hold up into one. That that is that is so so true, and I think especially for those of us in public safety, as you have the, uh, we forget about that that at the end of the day, uh, that 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 word retirement will be on the badge, <laughs> and yes. uh, what's going to stand and be there after all the excitement and the fun is done is uh, is our families, and uh, that is something that we I speak you know me I spend a lot of time telling you know you know my my officers and. And even chaplains, uh, everyone in public safety in that regard, spend time with the family and understand that that's stable, and they will always be there for you and with you. Right, right. So to treat that relationship well, treat it well, because that's the one that's going to last. This will end eventually. You know, right. Thirty years or thirty-five years, and those years zoom past. So take time and build that foundation of family. So important. Um, and I agree with that. Uh, I, w I would like to talk to you a little bit about a chaplaincy program. Uh, yes. After 9-11, there was an increased need to establish chaplain programs uh, because of the trauma and mental health and everything that the uh, fire department EMS law went through in, in with those attacks. Um, yes. The concept itself, though, has been around... Uh, best I could find was since the early 1980s. Uh, my daughter likes to refer to the those as the 19s. Um, yeah, yeah, the, the, the back in the time. 19s, right, right. Um, can you tell us uh, a little bit about how you uh, establish a chaplaincy program in a public safety agency? Sure, and I, I'm glad for that question and for bringing bringing up the history. Of the chaplaincy, and, and actually, Sherry, uh, and for those that are viewing the the chaplaincy or the the ideology behind the chaplaincy, chaplaincy has been around since the fourth century. Uh, oh. There was a time that uh, wealthy families, uh, very influential families, royal families, they would have their own minister uh, that they would call chaplains uh, because of the ability of them to perform religious ceremonies and rituals and rites in what's called the chapel. So that was birthed out of that, then it kind of morphed into the military. Uh, some of our, our more ancient armies uh, across across our world always had chaplains. So it's a fourth century wow. old position and field uh, that unfortunately is just really coming to the forefront uh, here in, in modern times. Now you mentioned something that was very, very important. And I'm so glad you did. You did that. 9-11, the first recorded death uh, in the line of duty death on 9-11 was a New York police fire chaplain, I'm sorry, named Michael Judge. And uh, he was the first recorded individual to die in the line of duty uh, at during 9-11 in New York. And uh, that really, uh, gave light to chaplains and 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 what chaplains do, how dangerous chaplaincy is, even to the degree that through the Bureau of Justice Assistance, uh, public safety chaplains now have the same title or benefits of peace officers. So uh -huh. uh, the, the, that entity looked at this and said, hey, these chaplains out here, out here, they're on the front line with our fire service. They're on the front line with our police officers and our police departments. 
They're on the front, front, front line with our public safety uh, departments and officers. They're on the front line with our emergency services. They're on the front line with our dispatchers. And, and I want to say this before I move forward to every police chief and fire chief that's watching this or any public safety director, do not forget to honor and respect your dispatchers. That is a hard job and they are part of the law enforcement family. Uh, they may not be on the street doing the cause to cause, but what they do is extremely important because of the data and information that they, they share. And dispatchers, uh, they have their own stressors. I, I, I've had the opportunity to uh, be with Sherry a lot and just see her staff and uh, just how diligent they, they work. I can't handle one computer screen. <laughs> They have like 10 right. that they have to look at and organize and take phone calls and, uh, and dealing with people in the most, some of the most stressful times of their life. And 93% of their communication process is lost. It's just a spoken word, uh, which is 7% of the communication process. So don't forget about them. But anyway, in the whole, in the whole scheme of things, after 9-11, uh, especially public safety departments, police and fire, emergency services, even the dispatch services began to see we need this service. And that's what the chaplaincy is. It is a service for the people who serve others. So I consider chaplaincy, we serve those who serve others, uh, who have different stressors, different challenges than most people will ever do. Public safety is a very interesting uh, calling and uh, the stressors of public safety are a lot different than say some other fields of endeavor that people work in. And chaplains have to have that knowledge as I consider chaplaincy, ministry of support, ministry of presence, ministry of resources, and, and the ministry of, uh, of awareness. Just understanding what those individuals, and resources, understanding what those individuals are dealing with uh, to be able to help them. Now, the first step of that is really Sherry, uh, very much like you did. You recognized, you became aware of the need of having that support system, those individuals that can support the people that you worked with uh, on a daily basis. A lot of times people look at chaplaincy and they see it from a spiritual, or not even spiritual, but from a religious aspect, when really religion is a part of it if it's needed. I perform funerals for the people that I work with, uh, memorial services. I, I've done weddings for a number of, uh, of different individuals that I've worked I work with, uh, marital counseling. I've counseled their children. Some cases I had to counsel their their, their parents. <laughs> so those are all services that's provided. Uh, that you know, in doing weddings and funerals, that could be considered as a religious service. But the chaplaincy is not focused just on the religious aspect or even the spiritual aspect, but it's really a support system for the men and women who serve in public safety. Uh, one of the things from a dispatcher standpoint, firefighter standpoint, police officer standpoint, emergency service worker is, uh, as you know, for the most part, they're all alphas. Alpha males, alpha females, right? Right. They all have that choleric mentality or temperament. And uh, their attitude sometimes is, I'm not going to talk to someone who doesn't understand what I'm going through. Yes. Uh, even our EAP, is, uh, employee assistant programs, that many of the cities offer or departments offer, uh, a lot of our public safety officers don't take advantage of it uh, because they say, well, why would I go talk to this person who's never spent a, 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 a moment in a car with me or squad car or a fire truck or running into a fire or running where gunfire is taking place. Uh, why would I talk with them? They wouldn't understand anyway. So uh, having a chaplain in place uh, solves that issue because the chaplain is there with that firefighter, with that police officer, with that emergency service technician and it gives that awareness of, I understand your stressors and what you're going through. So the first step, as you said, is becoming aware that you need the program. Because right. if you don't believe you need it, you won't support it. And it, it is, it'll just be a blip on, uh, on your department uh, policies, but it'd be dysfunctional or non-functioning 
at all because you haven't done anything with it. Second step is finding out what exactly you want your chaplains to do. Uh, do you want your chaplains to be in the department? Do you want them to just be ceremonial, to come in to do invocations, uh, on call? Uh, how in-depth in do you want that chaplain program uh, to be in your, your particular department? Third thing is finding the right person. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and as you know, I can't stress the importance of that, is just making sure that the person that you're bringing into uh, that department or organization has the right temperament, the correct personality, uh, the proper training, uh, and all the above that's going to mesh well uh, with your personnel. I would like to think I've meshed well with uh, your you. I, I know you and I mesh, but even with the people that worked with you. And uh, that is so important because these guys and gals, they're not going to trust you if they don't like you. Right. And, you know, you, you, and you've seen me where I just meet someone. They said, well, what do you want me to, call, what do you want me to call you? You want me to call you pastor, reverend, chaplain, mister, what, what? And I always tell people I was James before I was anything else, you know, but that shows that, you know, this person, okay, this guy's down to earth. I could connect with this guy, you know, in, 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 in private ceremonies or public ceremonies, it's chaplain, chief, you know, that type of thing. Right. But in the privacy, you know, we, we're just brothers and sisters in blue or, or red or gold. And uh, that's what makes it work. Um, you A couple of things you mentioned. Uh, you mentioned the chaplain's program. Uh, and I'm only bringing that up, you know, for some of our viewers, whether they have one chaplain or a program when I lived in the mountain community in Colorado, um, we had a chaplain's program and there were five chaplains and they were all very dedicated to the department at all levels. Uh, so if one wasn't available, you know, they, they shared on call and, yes. um, but then, I mean, that was a smaller agency also. Uh, what would you recommend for agencies looking at uh, establishing or working on their chaplain program? as to how many they should have just one or more. Yes. That is a great, uh, another great point. Thank you. And uh, you've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> I might've done a little homework. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, another great point. And I am a firm 100% believer that a program is better than one person. Uh, in a good book that you and I both have read, there's a passage that says two are better than one. And uh, I believe having that team concept is, is better than just a singular person because a, a person is limited in their time and their scope and what they can do, uh, how much time they can put into the program and the support of the program. But when you have a team, you can cover more, much more uh, ground with that. So if you have a department that is still on, uh, say, eight hours, well, that department is going to have three shifts, uh, the morning shift, after, afternoon shift, and midnight shift. And uh, if you can have three people or more that can cover all three shifts, that is a good thing. Uh, where if you just have one person and that person just spent eight hours of been, and, and doing that five days a week, physically nobody can hold up with that. So I think the team concept is the best concept for uh any agency, and we're talking about public safety, but it can right. be a school system. I mean, chaplains are all over the place, even corporate chaplains. Uh, Fortune 500 companies have chaplains for their staff. Uh, so chaplaincy could in, in, in be a part of any endeavor, not just public safety, but even in our schools or daycares. Or, uh, we have hospice chaplains and hospital chaplains and jail chaplains and prison chaplains and military chaplains. So uh, it's, it's just a whole gambit. Uh, now, uh, Sherry, the new push, uh, and I'm grateful to begin to see that, is even now houses of worship, churches, are now indoctrinating uh, their their staff with chaplains to be able to do some of the ministerial work that, say, the pastor or the diagnan or other uh, uh, endeavors in the church can't meet. 
and uh, because chaplains should be trained and they have a laser-focused fo aspect on what they're doing. So even in our churches, we're seeing that uh, chaplaincy growing, which is a good thing. So you've mentioned a variety of chaplain programs. What kind of training do, does a chaplain need to go through? Um, yeah. What should an agency look for? Like, so you're a pastor of a church, you're in, or should there be more to it? Uh, the first thing you just said, no. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just because a person, <laughs> I I know a lot of pastors and I wouldn't work with them. You That's know, funny. So, and, and I'm one, you know. Uh, <laughs> once again, the temperament, the personality, the understanding of whatever field you're going into. I, you know, I've been, I've been a pastor going on 35 years. I've been in law enforcement 16. So I was in, in, in the pastor ministry for 15 years before I became a, a police chaplain and a police reserve officer. So I was coming in totally blind uh, with the, the, uh, the culture and subculture of law enforcement. So just because someone is a pastor, uh, they may not be a perfect fit for certain areas. So now that I put on the individual uh, and tell the individual, what is it that you want to do? I love law enforcement. Uh, if I wasn't a full-time, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd be a full-time cop. There, there's, you know that. There's no ifs or buts about it. If I, I was not, you know, I'm a trainer and, you know, all of those things. So if I wasn't a pastor, I would be a full-time cop. So I love it. So it's, it's not a hardship for me. So finding out where that individual fits first, and then now that's up to them to pursue that. Uh, then they could get training because there's certain core elements that every chaplain has to have. Every chaplain has to have good interpersonal communication skills. Every chaplain has to have good interpersonal skills. They have to be people people, right? They have to learn how to communicate. They have to learn how to uh, uh, maintain confidentiality. You know, all of these different things. They may have to, they may be, uh, walk into situations that they may not be prepared for. So they have to have that strong resiliency so those are normal uh, aspects that a chaplain should have. However, being a police chaplain is different than being a fire chaplain. Fire service, those are that, those are family-knit organizations because they spend most of their time together. There's that team concept in the fire service where in the police service, you may have one, uh, one officer cars. So I spend eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours in a car by myself. Uh, driving around and doing law enforcement stuff. And we come together doing lunch or doing breakfast or doing dinner or, or in the park a lot of Tim Hortons. <laughs> Being a chaplain in, in a PSAP or a 911 service, uh, uh, emergency service operation may call for a different atmosphere, going into a prison or jail. So finding out where that person fits and then focusing that training in the area that they're looking for. But there's some common training uh, aspects also. And just some of the things that I talked about, uh, understanding culture, uh, culture diversity, or as I like to call it, cultural awareness. Because as a chaplain, you're gonna work with different people. Right. Uh, understanding generationalism. You know, right now in our country, we have five different generations coexisting. As of 2024, we'll have six different generations that'll be uh, coexisting together. Every generation has its own norms, mores and customs and traditions, the way they look at things, the way they perceive things. Uh, so that chaplain has to be abreast on that. Mental health, special needs. Chaplain needs to be abreast on, on those types of things. Trauma and crisis, post-traumatic stress disorder, critical incident stress disorder, uh, CPR, first aid, death notifications, counseling. Uh, Cherry, you and I've talked about this in, in nauseam, but there's a lot of pastors who's never who have never had one class in counseling, and that's a very important aspect of ministry. So it these is. are just it's just a few of the training aspects that uh, chaplains need to have. Um, well, I'm going to drill down a little bit in some of that training that you talked about. Um, 
mental health challenges, special needs. Uh, there's the, that's either we're paying more attention to it or it's increasing, you know, the need for that, uh, mm -hmm. autism, ASD, um, because we really love acronyms in in our country um it's it's a growing challenge for yes. both responders and you know at every level from 911 to the field units um and i know you have some familiarity with that as well what can you tell us that uh, people need to prepare for when dealing with people who are having a mental health challenge or or are artistic Autistic. Yeah, yeah, and, th and thank you for that. And and kind of to uh, support what you just said, I think it's a combination of the two. <clears throat> From a national standpoint, uh, we've accepted the reality in some cases that uh, the mental health is at a crisis level. And now, uh, from my perspective, that you have the mental health community, and then you have the special needs community. Uh, some people look at those as, as one, but mental health is something that uh, some, someone could be functioning in. Bipolarism, uh, then you have your developmental disorders, neurodevelopmental disorders, which is where autism is. So you have special needs, which means there always will be a need for that person to have special attention or special support system or special uh, vehicles to help them uh, uh, mo to move about in our existing society, uh, where mental health, a person can be totally functioning, but getting counseling or therapy or maybe medication that's keeping them balanced at that particular moment. And I think in our nation, after it may have been throughout our world, actually, and uh, because of what took place in the last three years, there was a lot of very balanced people that might now find themselves dealing with some mental health issues right. uh, that they didn't before because of COVID-19. And uh, some of the restrictions and shutdowns and things such as that. Keep in mind, people are still grieving who lost loved ones uh, during this time under this unusual circumstance. Even as a pastor, you know, I'm still very hands-on. I still do hospital visits and hospice visits and you know uh, things such as that. But during that three and a half year three-year period, I couldn't do any of that. And uh, and I had several members of the church and other people in law enforcement uh, partners of mine who lost people. And, uh, and and they sort of died on their own right. uh, without family being around them. So you still have families and individuals that are still grieving. Uh, some of them were not even able to have funerals uh, and they're still grieving because of this. So uh, I think the mental health issue in our country has ex increased expeditiously. And now when you look into the mental health uh, special needs community, like autism, uh, my uh, second son, who's uh, 39 and he'll be 40 at the end of uh, December. Uh, he's extremely and severely autistic. Uh, he'll, he'll never be able to live independently. Uh, so, uh, you know, my mind says, as long as I'm alive, you'll have a place to stay, you know, but then looking beyond that time, uh, my, out of my five grandkids, uh, my second grandson is uh, severely autistic. So you look at my son, he was born in 1982. It was one in every 10,000 births based on the statistics we had available that fell in the autism spectrum, right? Uh, as of 2018, uh, the new stats was one in every 59. So we went from one in every 10,000 births that fell somewhere in the ASD spectrum to one in every 59 in 2018. Like five, nine, not 5,900, right? No, five, yeah, five and nine. Wow. One in every 59 births, be it Asperger's, or full-blown autism. Now they could be on different levels, uh, high level, low level, independent level, but still they have those diagnoses uh, as being on the ASD. And uh, so, and this is just one, this is just one. 2020, the statistic that we had from the center uh, CDC was uh, that over 500,000 of these individuals who are dealing in the special needs community, namely autism, would be moving into the senior citizen area over 60, just from a national standpoint. So this is not a new problem. It's been around for a long time or challenge. Uh, we've had a war on mental health to solve it. 
Right. <laughs> and we ain't one. Right. <laughs> and, and and kind of what has happened, especially in our area, <clears throat> is that we've dumped the challenges of special needs and mental health on law enforcement. And we've kind of said to law enforcement, you handle this. Well, law enforcement is not set up to handle the special needs community or the mental health community. And I'm talking about from dispatching all the way to our prisons. They're not set up for this. And this is why this issue is still continuing to grow. And I appreciate the question because what, one of the things that we're beginning to see because of social media uh, uh, and, and the apparatuses such as this is we're beginning to see more and more negative interactions between yeah. the mental health community and the special needs community and law enforcement or public safety uh, as a whole because everybody is just expecting fire, cops, dispatchers, and emergency services or the criminal justice system to handle this. And they can't. I mean, you right. look in our state, right? In our state, one of the biggest uh, mental health operations in this state are our county jails. Wayne County is the Wayne County Jail. It's the biggest mental health, mental health hospital in Wayne County. Macomb is the Macomb County Jail. Biggest mental health hospital in Macomb County. I mean, whatever county, Oakland County, we can go to all the counties. Their jails, county jails, is where everybody just takes the mental health to. And that's the wrong place for them to be. And we're expecting from our correction officers to our deputies, to our local, local police officers, to our state police officers, to our firefighters and to our emergency medical technicians and our dispatchers, we're expecting them to handle this. And that's not their job. Right. Their job is to serve and protect and enforce the law. And so we're dumping this on them when really it takes a group effort to deal with this particular uh, uh, issue. And that's by getting everybody on board from the chaplains, our mental health communities, our, our, our county mental health uh, uh, organizations, our private organizations, other governmental organizations to work along with law enforcement. The challenge is, is law enforcement in, in, in a lot of cases are the first responders, but really it's the dispatchers that are the first responders right. to a lot of these individuals that's in crisis, right? So, I mean, as long as they're in therapy or maybe get counseling or taking the meds and, it, you know, unless it's, and it's easy for us to say, well, they need to just take, take, keep taking the medicine. But in some cases, the medicine is making it worse or the side effects of the medicine is uh, creating more problems than what the issue is. And so people just stop taking them. And uh, then that's when they go into crisis mode or tr a traumatic mode. And then those first responders are there on the scene trying to solve something that they're not trained to solve. And, and, and I'm a trainer, you know that. Yes. And I train law enforcement on uh, mental health and uh, autism and all that's great. And it's necessary because public safety in general is gonna be a part of that team that's gonna be working with these individuals when they're in crisis or in trauma mode, but it can't just be dumped on them and say, okay, you solve the problem now. Because if that was the case, it would have been solved by now. Right. So you're really advocating um, mandatory training for mandatory all training. public safety. Yes, mandatory. Uh, and a lot of departments are doing that. Even at an academy level, uh, we're beginning to see more and more training <clears throat> being offered to our cadets uh, on mental health, special needs, how to communicate, how to handle uh, those particular issues. And, uh, and that's a good thing. However, is, is, even though the training should be mandatory and anyone in uniform should have to go through that training, it, is still have to, it still has to be a team effort because that dispatcher or that police officer or that firefighter or that emergency emergency technician, or that correction officer or deputy, they can de-escalate that situation because of their training. If 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 it's if if it's feasible, they can de-escalate that situation. But then the question is, what's next? What do we do next? Right. Because okay, we we dealt with this individual. 
we de-escalated this situation, you know, but what about tomorrow? What about next week? What about next month? In some cases, what about the afternoon or the midnight? <laughs> right. Does that make sense? You know, because yes, we're, we're, absolutely. we're going to this, we're dealing with this person consistently and every time is different. So having those resources and this is where the partnership and the support team and the team concept comes into play. That officer gets that person. Maybe they find themselves, unfortunately, in jail. What's next? What resources and support apparatuses can we get so that individual can get the help that they need so that they don't find themselves having to interact with a law enforcement dispatcher, law enforcement officer, firefighter, or emergency medical technician? So there might be some objection, and I don't know, uh, on a responder side, like, well, I'm not a mental health counselor. I'm, you know, I'm not, I, I'm just there to enforce the law. But what kind of things um, is the best way besides training? What's the best way for first responders to help those people? They, you know, they may not know what's going on with them. Uh, even people with uh, disorders such as MS, you know, MS uh, attacks the brain. And so it may have attacked an area of the brain that's making that person act erratically. But if you talk to them, you think, oh, everything's, you know, they're normal. Um, what do first responders do? Yeah, that that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, and if I could add on it, you, so you'll take something like Asperger's, right? Uh, yes. High functioning uh, person could, could person like my son. He'll never drive. You know, he'll, he'll put it behind the wheel of a car with me. <laughs> I'd go to prison. <laughs> Why'd you do that? You know? But someone with Asperger's may they may work every day. They may drive, uh, go to church every Sunday. I mean, they they'll they'll live for the most part very balanced lives. It's just a social challenge, and that's why criminal sexual conduct and other things such as that is high in that particular community is just the social proclivities that they're dealing with. So they can be interacting with a deputy or officer or CO. And that person is thinking, oh, this person is just being a jerk yeah, or being non-compliant. And like you said, with MS, uh, okay, bipolar is going on and on, right? Right. Uh, this person is being a jerk, a jerk and they're going to approach it from that standpoint when really it's a special needs or mental health challenge where they need to address it a certain way. So how I approach it is even as a trainer, how I approach that, Sherry, because you you might have someone, and I haven't found too many people with that, but there are individuals who who believe, well, that's not my job. You know, I'm a cop, I'm a dispatcher, I'm a CO. Right. I'm a deputy. You know, this, this is not my job. I, I patch people up and send them to the hospital. It's not my job to deal with all that. But the aspect or the way I come at it is, it's the same thing if you're dealing with an, every domestic violence situation is different. Every call, every traffic stop is different. Every health and welfare call is different. Well, you have to look at this the same way. I'm just, I'm, I'm still in the law enforcement vein or in the dispatcher vein or in the emergency services vein or in the CO vein. This is just another way of dealing with it professionally and effectively to keep this situation from escalating uh, to a problem. So that's how I approach it. And when I'm doing a class or talking to individual small groups of officers or whoever, every last one of them tell, they, they have a hundred stories yeah. of individuals that they've run into. And, and I want you to keep this in mind, Cherry. You know, when it comes to the mental health community, uh, one of the uh, largest population uh, of individuals in that particular community is our veterans. Oh. Brave men and women who accepted the call, heard the call uh, to serve this country honorably. And they've done that. And they've had to see things that no human should ever see. They've had to experience things that no human should ever experience, hear things no, no human should ever hear. But they, they, they made that sacrifice for love of country. And we enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy in this country because of men and women such as that, which means we should always respect and honor our active military personnel as well as our veterans. But they come back 
and they're dealing with things such as critical incident stress disorder or post-traumatic stress disorder or acute depression, suicidal ideation. I mean, we can go on and on, right? Right. And I always tell officers or COs or deputies or dispatchers, these are men and women who served our country that's given us the ability to enjoy the freedoms we enjoy under our constitution. And they made uh, the sacrifice to do so. And now they're dealing with the challenges of their sacrifice. And for those who may have that wall built up of, well, this is not my job. You can begin to see the wheels turning in their mindset of, yeah, I never thought about that. You know, that right. I never looked at it from that particular perspective. And that's why everything with me is just being aware, uh, just having that awareness. I, okay, I'm dealing with this individual. Uh, it's one in every 59, 59 births that fall into the autism spectrum. This person is not being non-compliant because they just don't want to listen to me. They're dealing uh, with a situation that they cannot help. So my approach is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to use a little bit patient. That's a key word that I, the two key words that I do is I tell officers, use awareness, be aware. I may not be able to diagnose this person. I may not know what's exactly wrong with this individual, but something's not right. So something could be going on with this person. And then the other one is patience. And uh, don't be in a hurry. Just use patience. Try to find out if this person has to be special needs or mental health. Uh, and they're in a crisis mode, patience. They'll eventually calm down and you'll eventually begin to, to do your job uh, properly and professionally and effectively. That's a really, really great information. Um, you know, I think over the years of um, veterans that, that have been hired into public safety, uh, some who have done really well. And uh, I, I remember a, a young man who was a veteran uh, in training. And we just were so busy that one night with distressing calls. And I walked in about 11 o'clock at night and he was just there sitting in his chair, shell-shocked. I mean, he wasn't talking, he wasn't moving, he wasn't speaking. Uh, and, you know, at the time I thought, well, he can't do this job, which was accurate. Uh, but there was more going on, you know, than just the the challenges of the call volume. And I, I think even when we look at our veterans that, that we've employed, uh, we need to give a little grace and help them through those, those challenges. Sure. Uh, and I agree hundred percent from a national standpoint, I think our country is doing a better job uh, <clears throat> understanding uh, the necessity of offering support systems to our veterans and those in active service. And uh, so we're doing a good, a better job. Let me put it this way. We're doing a better job at it, but we need to do more. And uh, because these, are, like I said, these are men and women who, you know, it, it, it's, it's something that we have to really work on. And, and we always forget them in the perspective of the mental health field and we shouldn't, but also we have to look at it from the homeless aspect and, and employment aspect. They come home after being able to work with million dollar equipment and they can't get a job. Right. You know, we trusted them to billion dollar aircrafts and, you know, boats and ships and all this stuff. And then they come home and, and they can't find a job uh, or they can't find a place to stay, you know, or they're dealing with the mental health issues and they can't get the necessary uh, assistance and help that they need. And like you were saying, they come into places like public safety. And this is, again, where chaplains come in at. They got to go full circle again, uh, where chaplains come in at. And they may not feel as though, well, I don't have anybody to talk with or talk to or even just to vent uh, right. with what I'm dealing with and what I'm going through. And sometimes just that ability to vent helps. Uh, somebody listened to me. I was able to talk. And some, even if they didn't fully understand what I was saying or going through, they listened and they listened without being judgmental. See, and that's what chaplaincy really, really offers. And Sherry, I've heard some stuff. Whoo! 
I know you have. But it, will, <laughs> it will never be repeated. Right. Even in the court of law, and that's been tested with me. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been to court, or I've been deposed, or I was asked to testify. You know, I've done all that from eternal affairs to circuit court, district court. I've, I've done that, right? And I love the position I'm in because it gives people that ability to vent and to share. And when they're talking to me or another chaplain, we're not judging them. I, I'm not sitting there listening, shaking my head, saying, "Oh my goodness, that is so terrible. How could you do that?" You know, I, I'm I'm listening, but I'm thinking, "What can I do to help? How can I help this individual?" And maybe that help just may be me just shutting up and let them talk and get it out of them. So for people who come and talk to their chaplain, can they expect that that conversation will remain confidential no matter what, like um, if there's violations that they talk about and I, nobody can get that information from a chaplain. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that that's the way it should be. And that's a gr another great point. Oh boy, I got to come back on your show. I'm loving this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is some good stuff, I tell you. Uh, that is a, it's a very interesting position. And when I first, uh, when I first got into chaplaincy, uh, going on 17 years ago, uh, I asked all the judges that I was friends with and that I knew, I said, you know, on one hand, from a county perspective, I'm a mandatory reporter, but on the other hand, I'm a chaplain. And there's this thing called expectation of privacy. Right. That people have. I said, so when people talk to me, they're talking to me with that understanding of expectation of privacy. That what they say to me is confidential. It will never be repeated at all. Period. I said, and if I ever, if me or any other chaplain ever breaches that, then we're done. Right. Our, our chaplain career is done for whatever reason. So the judges I've talked to, I asked them, that's a dilemma that I need to uh, know about because nobody else is talking about it and I want to know. Right. You know, what, what are my legal options and the liabilities that I might have as a chaplain, you know, for four different police departments and a fire department and a college, you know, that yes. if something is revealed to me and it falls kind of up under the mandatory reporting, what, what can I do? So I've, uh, out of the probably 10 different judges I talked to, you do realize I got 10 different answers, right? Uh, probably. <laughs> yes. But the one common thread uh, that was there was a disclosure or disclaimer to that individual. If, if I feel as though the conversation is going down that path, to disclaim to them, if you continue with this conversation, you might place me in position as a mandatory reporter. Okay. So I've learned to give that disclosure. Now, by the grace of Almighty God, and I'm so grateful, I've never been put in that position. And thus far, everything that has been told to me did not fall into the mandatory reporting aspect. So even when I'm on the stand in the courtroom and uh, be it a defense attorney or prosecuting attorney is asking me questions. And I think the longest I've been on stand was probably about an hour and a half. And uh, with them constantly asking me the same question over and over and over again, just different ways. Yes. You know, and for that time I'm on the stand saying, I cannot divulge that information because it was told to me up under the expectation of privacy. And, uh, and that, and, you know, so I, I can't reveal that. I can't say that. I can't repeat it. Because this person, be it, and it doesn't matter if it's on the phone, text message, <laughs> in my office, right. in the squad car, in the back of the department, <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, Tim Hortons, 7-Eleven over a donut and coffee. It doesn't matter how that comes. Facebook, it doesn't matter. Instant messaging, it doesn't matter 
how that information is shared with me, there's that expectation of privacy. And I that love that. The, yeah, and, and, and Sherry, that is the one thing. When I'm training chaplains, uh, be it at my academy uh, or my one-day class, and I have a lot of chaplains that I mentor, I have to get them to understand that this is one of the most important aspects of what you do is that confidentiality. Uh, and I think all of us need that. I know I do. You know, there's things that even as a pastor or as a chaplain or as a cop, you know, as a trainer, a business owner, all those things, a father, you know, grandfather, parent, uh, parent of an autistic adult. You know, there may be times that I share things with my support team, right? And I don't ever want that revealed. Right. But it, it's such a blessing and such a help. To, to be able to have that person to talk to. And, 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 I, and, and I may end up talking to my support team maybe once every three years, but it's just a nice thing to know that I have that individual. And it's not a lot. It's, you know, maybe two or three people that I trust enough to share that with and, and not hear it back and without revealing anything that I know. So it's always that general, and it's always me, 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 or, or the, the chapters that talk with me, it's them, 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 and not this person or that person or them people, right? So right. they're never revealing anything that was told to them. I ain't asking. We're focusing on how are you doing? How are you handling that responsibility and that burden? That, does that make sense? It does. Because it does. If, and if I go to somebody it, and I'm telling them, well, I, I had this person, John Smith, and John Smith told me this, this, and this. Well, I just breached confidentiality. Right. Right. And so I, that's why I, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead, Sherry. I, well, I you, was going to say that's, you know, <laughs> that's one of the things I really like about chaplain programs is um, uh, I'm sure, well, I believe we've even talked about peer to peer support teams that are coming, yes. you know, alongside their coworkers and, uh, and how much I was excited to be able to do that only to find out that, well, I'm a boss and it doesn't, I can't come alongside. Well, I couldn't, I could now, but I couldn't come alongside anybody because yeah. if they told me about a policy violation or something that was questionable, I'd be stuck. But the, the chaplain program is so great because people can come along and tell you about a policy violation. And as long as it doesn't breach that uh, mandatory report, you're good. <laughs> you, yeah. You're not going to yes. have to repeat that. Uh, and I like that. I like yes. that for yes. our staff. They should be able to have somebody, <laughs> you know, to talk to. Yeah, because sometimes it's the director they want to talk about. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is so or true. The chief, or, the, or the director, you know, or the commissioner. And uh, it's always awkward, but like I, I tell people, you, you need they need to have that. And and, and then the, the directors and the chiefs and the commissioners and or the president of the organization, they need to have that too. Everybody, yeah. everyone needs to have that vehicle that they can vent or dump the stuff that they're internalizing so that they can continue to be functioning. Because Sherry, pressure... And to everyone that's listening and watching, pressure is coming out anyway. Yes. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if you want it to or not. You build up enough pressure, stresses in your life, it's, it's either you're either going to release it on your own and let it out, or you're going to have what we call an explosion. Right. Because pressure is coming out one way or the other. So if it's going to happen anyway, you have to make the determination and the decision, am I going to release this on my own? Am I going to have that person that I talk to and talk with? And if it's not a chaplain, it's a counselor or a therapist, you know, that I can dump on and release this stuff that's in me and still remain functioning? Or do I wait till it builds up to the point where it just explodes? And that's right. why you have road rage. You know, we have road rage, you have domestic violence issues. You know, you have people who love each other and they have unresolved issues and they won't talk about it. They won't let it out. And it just keeps building up, building up, building up 
to one person just explodes. And now you got a domestic violence issue. It happens every day. It yes. happens every day. So that's where chaplains come in and, and having that individual that you can talk with and talk to, non-judgmental, number one, and knowing that it'll never be repeated again. And I love that. Me too. And I just want to tell you um, how blessed we are to be able to have you here today with us. And um, I'm just so grateful for your ministry and your friendship um, all these years. And uh, I hope our viewers were able to um, gather some great information today. Uh, is there any last piece of information you want to pass on to, uh, to our viewers? Well, th th thank you. And I feel the same way. You know, I love you. So I feel the same way. And I appreciate you so much and our friendship and, and opportunities and uh, just just the, the whole sphere of our relationship has just been such a blessing. And I'm grateful to the Lord because of it. But to the viewing audience, listening audience, some of you that's out there and you may have a chaplain heart, uh, you, you may want to serve, uh, but you don't feel called to serve as say a quote unquote minister or preacher and that's okay uh, that's just one aspect of servitude uh servant leadership and you may feel like you have that calling of chaplain you're that person that we've been talking about who cares enough to want to make a difference in people's lives and if that's the case we want you to know that we're here to help you to be able to achieve that you also might be the person who is on the other side who might need a chaplain or need that person to talk to you. And I want you to know and be encouraged that there are people who care, uh, even if they don't know you, they care and they're willing to help you and assist you uh, uh, with whatever it is that you may be dealing with uh, of going, or going through. So uh, Sherry, I don't know if I could give out any information or anything, if that's something that you guys allow, but um, they, you they, can. They, um, yes, you, you can give out information. My, my website. Uh, if you're interested in being a chaplain, uh, we need more. We need we need more chaplains, uh, more servant people with servant hearts uh, that's willing to serve others. And if that's the case, uh, uh, we have uh, two chaplain academies that we run at Macomb Community College. We would love to take you through those uh, those academies to teach you what you need to know. You can reach me at www.jamesafriedman.com. Once again, it's www dot james a friedman friedman is spelled f-r-i-e-d-m-a-n.com and we we would love to discuss that with you and help you in your further career and um just to ask you one more question um for people who are not in macomb county or or your state are there other programs that you could maybe help lead them to if that's something they're interested sure. in okay yes definitely Great. Great. And, and Sherry, just to you and your, and, and your group, uh, I just want to say thank you for what you guys are doing, uh, getting this kind of information out, uh, sharing this type of information. And people don't really understand how important what you're doing is reaching the multitudes of individuals through this wonderful podcast that you're reaching and, uh, and giving this really important information uh, out to those who may need it. So God bless you guys, and thank you for the work you do, too. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Have a good day. Okay, do the same now. Uh -huh.